This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening, I'm Jim Acosta. Thanks for joining me tonight. Our breaking news this hour, Special Prosecutor Jack Smith is reacting to this threat from former President Donald Trump on Truth Social today. It says it right there, quote, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Now the special prosecutor is asking for a protective order saying if Trump were to begin posting details from grand jury transcripts, it could have a chilling effect on witnesses. Remember, this is just 24 hours after his arrest and arraignment in his third indictment over election interference and after the judge warned him against making threats. Uh, let's go straight to John Dean. He's the former Nixon White House counsel. And uh, John, you and I have spoken about uh, this and Donald Trump so many times. Um, but, you know, as I was discussing with one of our producers before uh, this program got started in, in the past, you know, we would talk about Donald Trump's tweets and his social media posts and, and wonder what the impact might be. But it sounds as though the special counsel in this case, Jack Smith, is is really seizing on this very inflammatory, threatening sounding Post from Donald Trump on Truth Social and alerting it to the judge, the government arguing that the restrictions that they're seeking are necessary to prevent Trump from publicly disclosing sensitive discovery information. Can you walk us through what this means? Yeah, it looks like the uh, the post from Trump came out while they were working on a uh, on a motion to agree upon a protective order in general to exchange discovery material. And this obviously caught their attention. This is not the sort of norm uh, that they're used to dealing with. But we also all know, after watching Trump for many, many years now in court proceedings, particularly those where he's a target, uh, that he likes to play the bad boy. He likes to threaten. He likes to cajole witnesses. He likes to tell prosecutors, uh, call them nasty names. And Jack Smith is going to call that to the judge's attention and see if they can get some restrictions. They can't zip him up, but they are going to make sure that all those documents that he gets are in the hands of his lawyers and his lawyers are responsible and not going to let him have them other than to prepare his defense. And Trump has been accustomed to saying and blasting out on social media whatever he wants. Uh, For example, it will be wild on January 6th. We all remember that one. Uh, is this a message from the special counsel that that is not going to be tolerated or that that he is going to ride Trump pretty hard on these social media posts from from here on forward? I mean, after all, John, Trump is doing this one day after he was arraigned in Washington in federal court on, on arguably the most serious charges he's ever faced. This is a serious case. It's probably the most serious case that the federal judicial system has handled in centuries, if you will. So uh, he's playing fast and loose is not smart. Uh, It could be actually be to his benefit for the special counsel to ride on him. And I think that's what this indicates, that he's going to have a low tolerance for games. And uh, this is a signal. We'll see how the judge reacts to it. And, you know, she may or may not uh, do anything at this point. I think that most important is to get the discovery material 
in the hands of Trump's defense counsel, so they don't have any way to stall the trial. It appears that there have been an exchange of drafts and they couldn't agree upon anything, so they're going right to the court to get that resolved. And is the Department of Justice right um, in, in seeking uh, this protective order uh, that Trump could have a chilling effect by posting these sorts of things? Well, what you want to do is have a fair trial, both for the defendant and for the American public. And the way to distort the fair trial is to put out inflammatory statements to create chaos in the, and a circus. And I don't think this judge or this prosecutor are going to tolerate that. But we'll not know until the judge reacts to these filings. And, and John, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about tonight is whether or not uh, Trump could ultimately be successful in dragging these proceedings out. I mean, for example, by putting this post up on social media today, it did trigger this response from the Department of Justice, uh, which is going to have to occupy some of this judge's time. I was talking to a Trump advisor earlier today who was telling me the plan at this point is to get all of these trials delayed until after the general election. And then if he wins, he can make all of this go away. However, and we can talk about that another time. However, he tries to do that by self-pardoning or putting other people in the Justice Department and so on. Could could that strategy be successful, do you think? You know, I don't think so. I think people know too much about Trump at this stage. Uh, Had this been at the outset of his sort of uh, political public career, uh, he might have pulled some of this off. Uh, He had a very nasty civil case for Trump University, which was a big scam and fraud that he just paid off with a $25 million fine uh, to get rid of it. But uh, he was beating that judge up uh, pretty badly until they settled that case quickly uh, once he was elected. So I just don't think, Jim, he can do that uh, because the federal judiciary and, and all the courts are too aware of his modus operandi. And while I have you, uh, I have to ask you about this. Trump's former aide, Stephen Miller, we all know him all too well. Um, He said this about Nixon and Watergate. Let's listen to this. Well, the first and most important thing is to reestablish what is known as the unitary executive. So this goes back to uh, the Watergate era. And now we obviously know, looking back on it now, of course, that that was a deep state coup against Richard Nixon. But this goes back to the Watergate era. Yeah, John, your reaction to that? Well, the, the conservatives want a unitary executive uh, when they're in power. They don't want it when the uh, when the Democrats are in power. So it's a very unique concept. And there's been a lot of academic discussion of this. Uh, and Nixon, no question, was trying to expand presidential powers. Uh, Had he had a second term, he was planning a total reorganization. So conservatives sort of picked up where Nixon dropped off because there was about a decade there where the Congress became something of a co-equal with the uh, with the presidency. And uh, Republicans don't like that. All right, Uh, John Dean, uh, thank you very much. We'll continue this conversation. I have a feeling uh, here in the coming days. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Jim. All right. In the meantime, Donald Trump, as we now know, has more indictments than impeachments. And if he's indicted in Georgia, he'll have as 
Many indictments as years spent in the White House. And tonight, as Republicans accused the Biden administration of weaponizing the Justice Department without evidence, you just saw how Trump is essentially vowing to do exactly that if he's elected again. But perhaps you've noticed how Trump's allies have defended the ex-president's attempts at overthrowing American democracy by claiming he was just exercising his right to free speech. These Trump world figures suddenly sound like champions of the First Amendment. This is a violation of his right of free speech. This is an attack on free speech and political advocacy. And there's nothing that's more protected under the First Amendment than political speech. You're entitled to question whether it was honest or not. That's the uniqueness of the First Amendment. You even have a right to lie under the First Amendment. It says that you were spreading falsehoods, that you were undermining the integrity of the election. That's all part of the First Amendment. What we have now is an administration that has criminalized the free speech. You don't get to violate people's First Amendment rights, Smith. But hold on. That full-throated defense of the First Amendment flies in the face of Donald Trump's record of undermining these rights. It's worth noting, Trump has long been at war with the First Amendment. Take, for instance, freedom of the press. It's frankly disgusting the way the press is able to write whatever they want to write. As you know, I have a running war with the media. They are among the most dishonest human beings on earth. I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. Or freedom of religion. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. You'll recall Trump's travel ban once called for a, quote, total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until the country can figure out what is going on. Courts uh, struck down that ban in part because it was, quote, unconstitutionally tainted with animus toward Islam. Uh, The Supreme Court eventually allowed it, citing the expansive power of presidential authority. Then there is Trump's track record on freedom of assembly. Critics will point to the way the administration tear gassed and pummeled protesters after the death of George Floyd. His administration also wanted to limit protests near the White House and at the National Mall. Trump and his allies have been quick to attack freedom of speech over the years. Trump himself has targeted plenty of his opponents, from individual citizens to whole companies, when he did not agree with their expression of free speech. And he has scoffed at the idea of First Amendment protections. Maybe in certain areas, closing that Internet up in some way. Somebody will say, oh, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. These are foolish people. We have a lot of foolish people. We have a lot of foolish people. So mark this moment in your calendar. Trump and his defenders are all about free speech now, perhaps because his version of the First Amendment is a get out of jail free card. I want to bring in Congressman Brendan Boyle, a Democrat from Pennsylvania who says Trump's trial uh, should be televised. Uh, Congressman, uh, I, I suppose uh, this newfound love for the First Amendment, uh, free speech, uh, free press, uh, means we can get cameras in the courtroom uh, for the Trump trial that's coming up in this case. You're roughly uh, you're one of roughly three dozen uh, House Democrats who, who sound, uh, signed a letter calling on Trump's trials to be televised to the public, arguing, quote, if the public is to fully accept the outcome, it will be vitally important for it to witness as directly as possible how these trials are conducted. Uh, let's talk about this. Why, why is it so important for you? Uh, I, this will be perhaps, uh, and I know this sounds like hyperbole, but I genuinely believe 
this will perhaps be the most important criminal trial in American history. So in my view, we need to let the sunshine in. We need to do our very best to defeat any sort of conspiracy theories that are going to be spread about what is going on in the court proceedings. And we do know who is the, the chief among those who will be creating a lot of those um, legends and myths about what allegedly happens in that courtroom. The best way to do that is to ensure that we are all able to see exactly what happens in court day after day. I genuinely believe this is in the national interest. But how likely is that to happen? I mean, one of the things that we've uh, often uh, heard about federal judges is, uh, you know, they, they just don't want cameras in the courtroom. Uh, at, at the state level, at the uh, county and city level, sure, you can get cameras in all kinds of courtrooms. But at the federal level, it's just unheard of. Practically, is it even possible to make this happen? Uh, well, my understanding is that the door uh, has actually uh, been open a little bit to it in, in certain circumstances. Um, but, you know, my, my point to whatever judges' uh, individual preferences may be, the national interest has to come first. If we have the single most important criminal trial in American history and it's behind closed doors, can you imagine the feeding ground on social media and elsewhere of things that are just flat out made up about the trial? Uh, this is deadly serious. We need to make sure we have those cameras in there. Um, those uh, myths, as I say, and legends that may be created on some places of the far right, they may happen anyway, but at least if we have cameras in there, it can offer us some protection against them. And let me ask you about the breaking news tonight, the Department of Justice, the special counsel, Jack Smith, seeking a protective order uh, after this uh, Trump threat uh, that he made on Truth Social um, if you come after us, we're coming after you, essentially what he's saying on Truth Social. Uh, the, the special counsel is holding this up as a reason as to why they need to be very careful about some of this discovery material that's going to be shared. What, what's your response to all of this? Sadly, I'm not surprised. Donald Trump is a 78-year-old man who has gotten away with everything in life, uh, never having been told no. The one time he was told no, it was by 81 million Americans in 2020. And what did he attempt to do? end American democracy. I do believe unless a, a court is firm with Donald Trump, uh, he will just continue to make these threats. Um, I would urge the court respectfully to do whatever they can uh, to ensure that Donald Trump doesn't issue any further uh, threats. Otherwise, he is just going to make an entire mockery of the criminal justice system even more than he has. And are you worried that if he's acquitted in the ca this case, that he'll become uh, politically stronger, uh, that uh, he could get a boost in the way he did in 2016? I remember that all too well, 11 days before the 2016 election, the Comey letter comes out. And it really, it, I mean, we could feel it out on the campaign trail. It shifted the momentum of the case. Are you concerned that something like that could happen again and actually give Trump a boost? It is a legitimate concern, but I have to say, that is so outweighed by the overwhelming amount of evidence against him. I also believe with something, uh, there was something that a, a federal judge named David Carter wrote in um, the spring of 2022. He argued that unless Donald Trump, and, and he argued this actually in, in a, a different civil, civil proceeding in which he found that Donald Trump had committed crimes, um, he argued, and I agree with uh, his opinion, that stated unless Donald Trump is held criminally 
responsible for January 6th, then it only makes another January 6th more likely. All right. Uh, Congressman Brennan Boyle, uh, thanks for staying up uh, very late uh, with us tonight. We appreciate it on the breaking news and and, uh, all these other matters. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank Uh, you. All right. Coming up next, more breaking news. Judge in Austin, Texas, issuing an order tonight temporarily barring the state from enforcing its ban on abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy in some cases. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Plus, is Vladimir Putin counting on Trump to win? And what would that mean for Ukraine? I'll talk to the star witness in Trump's first impeachment, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. He's coming up as well. Also, Ron DeSantis's rhetoric escalates. Talk about that as well. We're going to have all these deep state people, you know, we're going to start slitting throats on day one. He says it's just a figure of speech. Our guest coming up says it's dangerous. We'll be right back. And some more breaking news to tell you about tonight. A Texas judge issuing an order tonight temporarily barring the state from enforcing its ban on abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy in cases where the mother's life or health could be endangered by an emergent medical condition. Lawyers for the state argued in court that there was already an adequate exception in the statute for life-threatening pregnancies and blamed doctors for misinterpreting the law. The order comes after the judge heard several days of testimony last month from women who say uh, the Texas law forced them to continue with high-risk pregnancies. And joining me now to talk about this is CNN chief legal analyst Laura Coates, who was just on in the previous hour. Laura, I'm glad you were able to stick around. What's your reaction to what is taking place with this judge saying that this Texas ban was too restrictive? This is very significant. Remember back in 2021, Jim, there was a trigger law that was in anticipation of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which eventually happened with Dobbs. And what they said was that there would be some medical exceptions. But they are arguing now it was not clear. What does it mean to have this life-threatening condition? What does it mean to have the substantial risk of harm or fatality? This is what these women who brought this case against the state of Texas were very concerned with. Listen, they said, we don't have clarity. In the event that somebody does, in fact, have a qualifying medical condition that would allow them to meet that medical exception requirement, the doctors are busy trying to figure out if they're going to have liability if they get it wrong, if they somehow do not understand what the definition is or they're questioning. Meanwhile, the woman is actually suffering and could otherwise be legitimately able to have that exception. That's the crux of this issue. So the judge is saying, look, in the absence of the clarity, you cannot essentially have this go into full effect. The result of this, of course, is that they're saying, and this is not like the other case, by the way, I want to distinguish, there's the other, perhaps more even controversial decision, which said you could have a private enforcement mechanism, remember this, where an everyday person, a civilian, could actually try to bring a civil lawsuit against somebody involved in an abortion. This is not that. This is about the medical exception. The judge has decided now that that was too restrictive, it lacked clarity, and it put women in an unfair position and compromised the integrity of a of a doctor and their ability to decide what is medically necessary. Mm. And and Laura, I got to ask you about the breaking news involving the special counsel, Jack Smith, filing this Mm -hmm. protective order or seeking this protective order uh, after Trump posted this threat on Truth Social. I mean, this was just several hours ago this evening when Trump posted, if you go after me, I'm coming after you, sounding like, I don't know, Robert De Niro is Al Capone in The Untouchables. Mm. But the special counsel, Jack Smith, 
I mean, he is really making it clear here and going to the judge and alerting the judge to this that, hey, we're not going to put up with this. It is absolutely prudent for a prosecutor who is worth their salt to understand the importance of ensuring that their witnesses, co-defendants, anyone who may be involved, a judge, jury, etc., that they are not going to be compromised and intimidated or even have the prospect of that happening. So it is prudent to alert the judge to the possibility that this might be an issue. Now, there are those who will have two sides of the same opinion. One will say, hold on, that's a very vague statement. He didn't identify a specific person. He didn't call someone out. And so is this a lot of much ado about nothing? On the other side of that is, well, it is vague enough such that others might might believe they are themselves targeted. It was not specific. Therefore, everyone might feel as though they themselves are in fact targeted if they are already a part of the investigation. What does he know through discovery? What have his lawyers been told? Is there some cause for a person we might not even know has now said this was clearly a dog whistle and a signal from me? The judge has got to be concerned about this. But remember, there are now three indictments. And so it's hard to decipher even if only this particular judge that Jack Smith has, has notified will be the one to be concerned about. It might be even more expansive, Jim. No question about it. Uh, and, and to do it one day after he was in D.C. for this arraignment. I mean, mm-hmm. he's obviously playing these games that he's played before. He's going to continue to do it. All right, Laura Coates, uh, thank you very much. Great to talk to you. And me too. All right. Coming up, the new CNN report that top U.S. officials believe Vladimir Putin is counting on Donald Trump to win in 2024 because he thinks that would mean the U.S. would cut support for Ukraine. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman is here. He's coming up next. Top U.S. and European officials are sounding the alarm that Vladimir Putin could be looking at the 2024 presidential election for how to proceed in Ukraine. One of those officials believes Putin is banking on Trump or another Republican to win the presidency because he thinks that would lead to the U.S. pulling support for the war. Could that strategy work? Well, a new CNN poll out today shows that for the first time, a majority of Americans are opposed to sending more money to Ukraine. That feeling is even more pronounced when you look at a party split for support of the war, 71% of Republicans say they've had enough and want to stop. And let's talk about this. Let's get right to retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the former director for European affairs at the National Security Council. Colonel Vindman, great to see you as always. Uh, you just saw this, this brand new poll. And, and let me just play this for you. This is what uh, Trump said tonight in Alabama. He had a, a rally in Alabama. Here's what he said. I will have the horrible war between Russia and Ukraine settled. I know them both very well. They will settle. It would have never, ever happened. It will be done very, very quickly. I'm the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent World War III. Yeah, Colonel Vindman, I mean, some of that has to be music to Vladimir Putin's ears. Uh, I mean, do you think the strategy that Putin apparently has here could work? Uh, just wait out uh, things in Ukraine until the next election? Thanks for having me on, Jim. Uh, First, uh, I've got to say that those remarks from Donald Trump just sound foolish and absurd. Uh, He is, in fact, one of the key reasons why we are in this war, why Russia attacked Ukraine under the belief that there would be no consequence, no cost, because of his capture of the Republican Party, uh, and therefore he could get away with an easy, quick victory. And, uh, of course, it's music to Putin's ears 
to have Donald Trump return to power. It's a, it's a significant miscalculation. A hope and a prayer, really, is what he's, uh, at this point, is what he's relying on, because his, his military is not achieving its objectives in Ukraine. And he's looking for a favorable outcome in, in political elections here in the U.S. and overseas, and uh, hoping to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. That is a long shot um, to gamble on. And he's, th- this is going to cost his, his military and his nation hundreds of thousands of lives because we're talking about another year and change. And based on the casualty rates that the Russians have been suffering, that's a huge, huge gamble. But of course, he's, uh, he's counting on that. He's counting on Donald Trump. He's counting on uh, uh, JFK, uh, correction, RFK Jr. as a, a potential uh, contender or challenger from the left. He's counting on this faction of this extreme faction of the far right and the far left and their ability to uh, you know, somehow confuse or trick the American public into an uh, election victory that could allow uh, Putin to believe that he could then not, see, no further support would come to Ukraine and he could win. That's, that's a yeah. mirage. And if a Republican does win in 2024 and the U.S. does pull back, I mean, if, if Putin gets what he wants in this kind of a scenario, would other countries in the coalition that's been supporting Ukraine, would they follow suit? Would you see a crack then, a split there in the NATO uh, allies? Uh, what do you see there? So, frankly, it depends on the flavor of the Republicans. Chris Christie was in Ukraine just within the past couple of days, um, right. and he, that that is a standard fare Republican that would double down on support to Ukraine, maybe even possibly be more aggressive than the Biden administration. That is not a likely, you know, he's, he's not a real contender at the moment, but this is a, a struggle for the soul of the Republican Party. A Trump MAGA-like Republican like Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis would potentially look to cut support, but that is a recipe for disaster. What that would likely do was would, you would see a, a fracture between the alliance, within the NATO alliance, you would see the Eastern coalition within the NATO alliance potentially double down on their support. This is an existential threat, this war to them. Uh, they understand uh, that the dominoes might fall and they might be the next target. And we can very well see NATO member states committing troops on the ground. I think this is, uh, again, a remote possibility. And I also want to comment on the poll that you referenced. I just yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Ukraine what did you think of that? And, what do you think of those yeah. numbers? What do you think of those numbers? So it's interesting. I think that uh, I think I've seen different polls. I just referenced one this morning that came out a couple of days ago that showed 69 or uh, 69 might as well call it 70 percent support for uh, for Ukraine and uh, in support of Ukraine's uh, fighting and liberation of its territory. So there are a lot of different polls coming out. I'm deeply concerned about this idea of Ukraine fatigue setting in. I haven't seen it. And I've seen uh, conflicting polls thus far. The one that I'm referencing was a large sample poll. 2,500 uh, uh, folks were, were uh, targeted for that particular poll. Uh, but I'm going to be care- uh, carefully looking at, at these numbers and seeing how, how they develop, because it means well, that uh, there might be there might be efforts to cut support from the Republican Party, and they'd feel more comfortable doing that if the if there isn't a broad public support for Ukraine. So yeah, that's, I mean, the, that, that's really uh, what it means practically. The number that really stands out, and we were just showing this on screen a few moments ago when you were talking, Colonel Vindman, uh, is is the lopsided opposition among Republicans against continuing to authorize more funding to support sure. Ukraine, which is I I think is kind of a sure. staggering number because uh, standing up to the Russians. You know, uh, standing up to Russian aggression used to be kind of a core bedrock Republican principle. I'm just thinking of Ronald Reagan 
that doesn't sound like Reagan uh, Republicanism there. You know, it's interesting. Uh, up is down, uh, and you know the the sky is is not blue anymore w- with this Republican Party. Uh, I think there's there's there are historical precedents for parties taking a 180 degree position away from where they were. Uh, this has happened periodically in the United States between the Republican and Democratic parties. They they are not the same parties they were 50 years ago, let alone 100 years ago. This is a very very different Republican Party than it was under Ronald Reagan. That party is gone. It's it's unlikely to return. Uh, we could long for the days of a Republican Party that uh, was strong in support of democracy, that would uh, stand up for democratic values and, and the world order. Uh, we could the best we could hope for now, frankly, is the end of um, MAGA and the end of uh, Trump Republicanism and maybe a, a some sort of pivot because of uh, of a, a series of defeats like we had in the midterm elections, like we had in 2020, that could drive some changes in the Republican Party. Until that day, lots of threats to our democracy and, frankly, uh, some some hopes and prayers for our adversaries around the world that they could, again, win through domestic turmoil here in the United States. All right. Colonel Vindman, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. In the meantime... Slitting throats on day one. That's what Governor Ron DeSantis says he'll do if he's elected president. It's got a lot of people angry, including my next guest. Uh, Stay with us. We'll talk about it. Just a moment. On bureaucracy, um, you know, we're going to have all these deep state people you know, we're going to start slitting throats on day one um, and be ready to go. You're going to see a huge, huge uh, um, uh, outcry because Washington wants to protect its own. But at the end of the day, this is a, a city that's failed this country. Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis escalating his rhetoric on the campaign trail, vowing to start uh, slitting throats, uh, in his words, in the federal bureaucracy on his first day in power. Those comments did not go unnoticed. Uh, Prominent federal unions are calling on DeSantis to retract his remarks, calling them, quote, dangerous, disgusting, disgraceful and disqualifying. This afternoon, DeSantis offered up a response to the criticism. I think people understand that that we need to see changes. And so we'll bring that about. Well, you guys know it's a me. Come on. It's a figure, figure of speech um, with that. Joining me now is the national president of the American Federation of Government Employees, Everett Kelly. Uh, Mr. Kelly, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, You heard Governor DeSantis there a few moments ago saying his remarks were a figure of speech. What do you think? Well, uh, Jim, first of all, thank you for having me. But maybe maybe he feels the need to turn to human sacrifice to revive his dying presidential campaign. Now, all I know is that he better correct his tone and show some respect for America's workforce. You know, but but, you know, uh, seriously, you know, I am uh, an American uh, army veteran myself. Over 500,000 U.S. veterans are wearing their second uniform in service to their country as civilian service. And over a third of AFG members are veterans. They expect America's enemies on the front line to threaten their lives, not someone that's running to be the commander in chief. You know, and and, and this type of of violent authoritarian uh, rhetoric is, is disturbing, it's disgraceful, and it's disqualifying. You know, and it's also deliberate. You know, he recently made sim- similar uh, throat-slitting comments about Pentagon officials. It's not a mistake or, or something he can try to brush off as a metaphor 
or anything like that. It's intentional. And do you think that this could have this kind of rhetoric could have real life consequences for your members? Well, you know, I, I think that we have uh, already a case in point. You know, we can look at what happened on January the 6th and, and, and see that this type of rhetoric, you know, has a way of, uh, it's a catch of phrase with some people, you know, and, and, you know, so I think that that's correct. And as you know, Ron DeSantis is not the only candidate uh, to vow to clean house. Um, the front runner in this race right now for the Republican nomination, Donald Trump has been calling for a purge of federal employees. He's done it time and again. Let's listen to uh, what he's had to say before. The deep state is destroying our nation, but the tables must turn and we will quickly destroy the deep state. We know where the bodies are buried. You know, Everett, he's talked about, Donald Trump has talked about this before, how they're on day one of his new administration when he comes into office, he's, he and his allies have said they want to clean house inside the federal government, try to uh, remove uh, federal worker protections and so on. W- when you hear that sort of thing, what's your response to that? Is that something they could do? Well, well, well it, it's something that they could do. I mean, I, I do agree with that. But, you know, I think that we also uh, have to understand that, you know, we have uh, people that support the American workforce. The American people know that AFG members and federal government employees are not some shadow force in the nation's capital. Eighty-five percent of our members live and work outside of the D.C. area, in every state, in every territory. Our members have dedicated their lives to serving their fellow Americans, uh, their support uh, to our military, provide health care for our nation's veterans, enforce our laws, safeguard our communities, deliver benefits to America's most vulnerable citizens, and, and to keep our skies safe as they travel, protect human health and our environment, keep us safe on the job, ensure our food is safe to eat, preserve our nation's park, and so much more. And I think that the American people want to know that the uh, a federal employee workforce is on the job making sure that all that occur. You know, none of these uh-huh. public servants uh, should be forced to endure death threat from, from anyone, whether it's Donald Trump or DeSantis. You know, because, you know, these, these are people that run into be their bosses. They want to know that coming in, these people are going to, you know, provide uh, health, uh, healthy work environments and, and benefits for those employees that's working for the American public. Yeah. All right, Everett Kelly, uh, it's obviously an issue we're going to stay on top of. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. The pleasure is mine. Thank you, uh, 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 Jim. Thank you very much. And now I want to turn to the controversy over the Orlando Magic, donating $50,000 to a DeSantis-supporting Super PAC. The NBA uh, Players Union criticized the franchise's contribution in a searing statement. If you uh, didn't catch this, take a look at this. A political contribution uh, from the Orlando Magic is alarming given recent comments and policy, uh, policies of its beneficiary. If contributions are made on behalf of an entire team using money earned through the labor of its employees, it is incumbent upon the team governor, uh, governors to consider the diverse values and perspectives of staff and players. The Magic's donation does not represent player support for the recipient. That's from the uh, Players Association. Let's discuss with Rachel Nichols. She's the host of uh, Headliners with Rachel Nichols on Showtime. Uh, Rachel, great to see you. Uh, great to see you back uh, on CNN. Uh, what do you think of all of this? The Players Union calling this donation alarming. How common is it for a sports franchise to donate directly to a super PAC like this? Yeah, Jim, I've covered the NBA for more than 25 years. I've never seen it. And now, of course, we have seen team owners, players, management, 
all individually support political candidates. Mark Lasry, the former owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, was one of President Obama's chief fundraisers. We have had Kelly Loeffler, I'm sure you remember her, former U.S. senator who was a co-owner of the Atlanta Dream. And since she was not supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement, her players went out and fundraised and supported her opponent, now Senator Raphael Warnock. And all of those are examples of individuals supporting their political candidates. In fact, the co-owner of the Magic, Betsy DeVos, as we know, was Trump's education secretary. She's an individual. What upsets these players so much is that this donation was not made on behalf of Betsy DeVos or Dick DeVos. It was made on behalf of the team. And you have players and coaches and executives who have come out publicly with very different beliefs and opinions than DeSantis's. And now their names are being used in association with this donation. And more importantly, Importantly, as the Players Association statement pointed out, it's their labor. Money for NBA teams, the Orlando Magic's money that they donated to Ron DeSantis, doesn't come from a magic tree elf. It came from the work of those players on the court. And the fact that their work has been turned into a contribution for someone running for president who has come out with statements that they think directly oppose who they are as people, that is very difficult to stomach. And I have to think it's not just the players, but the fans who get upset about this. I'm a little surprised that the league allows this sort of thing. Like you said, it, it doesn't happen. So I, I suppose this is maybe a bit of a test case. What does this do to the players? Does it put them in a position where they're kind of in, in between a rock and a hard place? They can speak out through the players union, but not a whole lot they can do individually or publicly. I mean, we've had individual players around the league react to this over the last 24, 36 hours. I have not seen Orlando Magic players uh, criticize their boss directly, which I think you can understand. Um, but, but I think the feeling throughout the league is they've said their piece, they've expressed their disappointment. And now that Ron DeSantis has flipped this around and he is publicly criticizing the NBA and the Players Association for this statement, he's actually using parts of the statement in fundraising texts. Uh, I would not expect the NBA as a league or the players themselves to take the bait here. They know exactly what this game is, and they're not going to give him any more oxygen on this, is my prediction. Yeah, I think you're right. And we should note or the Orlando uh, Magic spokesman, Joel Glass, described the check as supporting DeSantis in his role as governor because it was written on May 19th, days before he formally launched his presidential candidacy on May 24th. They're saying in part it was given as a Florida business in support of a Florida governor for the continued prosperity of Central Florida. Uh, Rachel, you could take that for what it's worth. I mean, it did go to a super PAC. We do know what super PACs do. But anyway, uh, that's the I, I do. I do want to say Joel Glass is actually really excellent at his job, but his boss put him in a crappy position here. And uh, as you say, it doesn't really hold up, right? I mean, yeah. everybody knew, everyone's mother knew, everyone's mother's pets knew that Ron DeSantis was about to announce for president, you know, in the, in the coming couple weeks. So it doesn't really hold up as a statement. But I, I guess, you know, you got to say something. And, and as I said, he's a, he's a good guy, good at his job, but this was a tough one. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a blocker charge. I'm not sure which in this situation, but all right, Rachel Nichols. <laughs> Uh, If you'll forgive that sports pun very late at night. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. As coral reefs in Florida have been devastated by the ocean's unprecedented high temperatures, this week's CNN Hero is committed to restoring them. Coral reefs, without them, nothing is here. Simply put, they are what it is that brings the ecosystem together. Sadly, I've watched us lose that coral reef and the disappearance of that diverse marine ecosystem. Right, I care. Are we 
But then he says, you know what? I'm going to do something. I truly believe we're going to be successful with this restoration work. It's amazing how fast this car is growing. I see things every time I go in the water that give me hope. I love being a part of it. I wake up every day and say, look what I get to do. For the full story and to see his group in action, go to CNNHeroes.com. Thanks very much for watching this hour. I'm Jim Acosta. Our coverage continues. Stay tuned. Have a good night. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.